Well, let's do it. Come on. You've got questions. We've got answers. Phone lines are open. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Just just got my free copy in the mail. Book doesn't come out until March 19th, but here it is. Not afraid of the, uh, get the right shot, not afraid of the Antichrist. It doesn't come up properly with our colors and our screen. Why we don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, Michael Brown and Craig Keener coming out March 19th. Of course, you can pre-order anywhere. 866 for truth that's 866-3487-884 it's friday that means phone lines are open only time phone lines aren't open is if it's a travel day for me and i answer questions that have been posted on facebook or twitter or sent into us but this is your day to ask any question under the sun to challenge me to question me 866-348-7884 okay Phone lines are immediately jammed, but we'll get to everyone as quickly as possible. And <clears throat> as soon as, well, we'll tell you what, I'm, I'm just going to dive right in. I have no idea what the subject is, but let's just dive in. Stephen in Florida, normally I see what the subject is, but we got so flooded with calls so quickly. I have no idea what you want to talk about, but welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, how you doing? I'm blessed, man. I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, so my question is actually about um, the word, it's a translation question about the word um, ka'aru in Psalm twenty two sixteen. Yes, sir. So I kind of have a two-part question. Um, mm-hmm. So first, um, I know most counter-missionaries will say that it's not a word at all in Hebrew and that it's, it's not found in the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second part would be about the, um, the manuscript from the Dead Sea Scrolls that um, has the question whether it's a vav or a yud mm-hmm. um, for the word. Um, yes, so sir. I was I was also told that the vav and the yud are interchangeable, um, and there's actually two other places on the same manuscript where you it would look like it's a vav, but it's actually a yud. Um, so I was wondering if you could verify that. Oh yeah, I I am happy to clarify this. First thing I need to do, and I'm just pulling up a, a, a few things on my screen here. But the first thing I need to do is explain your question so that everyone else can understand, right? So in Psalm 22, verse 16, and you'll sometimes find a verse difference between the Hebrew and the English, the the primary manuscripts, the Masoretic manuscripts, read which would be like a lion, my hands and my feet. So something's missing there. It, that makes no sense. Like a lion, my hands and my feet. You know, dogs have surrounded me and camp of evil people. Uh, evil people have encamped around me. Like a lion, my hands and my feet. So there's a verb that's clearly missing. So some of the rabbinic commentators suggest that the missing verb is like a lion. They tear at my hands and feet, something like that. Uh, that could work, but something's missing there. Grammatically, something's missing. So the commentaries explain like a line, they're doing something to my hands and feet. 
The reason there's contention over this is most English translations done by Christians will read, they pierced my hands and feet. And it really uh, does speak strikingly uh, the, the psalm uh, about, uh, about crucifixion. It's very vivid. My strength is dried up like a clay pot. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare. They gape at me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. A very, very vivid description of crucifixion. The issue, of course, would be that, number one, uh, that's not what the Hebrew says. And, of course, crucifixion was unknown in ancient Israel and David's day from what we can tell. So if he was actually speaking of that, or the psalmist speaking of that, that would be a striking prophecy. So we're told by counter-missionary rabbis that Christians have read something into the text that's not there and come up with crucifixion when it's not there. Number one, it's totally bogus. Totally bogus. This is an entirely Jewish textual issue only. So even if it said, like a lion, my hands and my feet, something is missing verbally that must be supplied. So like a lion, they're tearing at my hands and feet. That would also be a very vivid picture of crucifixion and having one's hands and feet torn with nails. But the oldest translation of the, of the Hebrew Bible, the Septuagint, and, and the Septuagint of the Psalms roughly 200 years before the time of Jesus, that translates with they, they pierced or they bore through my hands and feet. So that is a Jewish translation that says it. It's number one. Number two, the vast majority of Dead Sea Scroll, scroll scholars, even though we all recognize there's a small difference between a Yud and a Vav, and I was just looking at the, the text the other day. I was looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls to examine this again. The most likely reading is Karu. So without an Aleph, but Karu, which would mean to dig or bore through, which again would be very striking in terms of crucifixion imagery. Now we're told there is no such word as Ka'aru with an Aleph. So Kaf, Aleph, Resh, Vav. The problem is that there are a number of Masoretic manuscripts, medieval Masoretic manuscripts that read Ka'aru, Kaf, Aleph, Resh, Vav. I examined this again the other day because someone raised this question and said this one counter-missionary rabbi said there's no such word as Ka'aru in the history of Hebrew, etc. And the different Hebrew scholars say, no, here's where we believe we see the root or here's where we speculate the root. But the fact is there are at least a half dozen, if not more, Masoretic manuscripts that read Ka'aru. I looked at it myself. I looked at the listing just the other day in, in the, the um, compilation of, of Kennecott. So all that to say that this is an entirely Jewish issue. Christians are just dealing with the Jewish texts. If it says, like a lion, my hands and feet, it means like a lion tearing at my hands and feet, which would be a good image of crucifixion. If it should be read Karu, they dug through, they bore through the Septuagint, the Jewish Septuagint attests to that. The Dead Sea Scrolls, that's the best reading and understanding attest to it. There are Masoretic manuscripts that read Karu, Kaf, Resh, Vav. And there are Masoretic manuscripts that read Ka'aru, Kaf, Aleph, Resh, Vav, with a supposed or presumed similar meaning. So the fact is, there's an excellent case that can be made for they pierced, they dug through, 
my hands and feet based entirely on internal Jewish sources, nothing external, nothing Christian about it. And it's, uh, it's what I write out in volume three of answering Jewish objections to Jesus. I just rechecked every reference. I mean, I studied the things decades ago, rechecked every reference. What, what I wrote is accurate. The sources are accurate. The manuscripts are just what we said they are. Yeah, so, very good. Thank you. All right, you got it. 866-34-TRUTH. Um, let us go to Ted in Ohio. I'm keeping my word, Ted. I said if you got through to us yesterday, uh, that we put you at the front of the line. So here you are. Thanks for calling back. Shalom Aleikum. I appreciate it, brother. You got it. Uh, my question is the uh, questioning the validity of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm a, I'm a Karaite Israelite which means we only believe in Tanakh, the Old Testament, uh, so-called. Mm-hmm. And um, it appears to me that the New Testament writers did the same thing that those uh, Talmudists, or those that believe in the oral law, did. They took something and they painted themselves in it, or inserted mm-hmm. things in it, and made it look like it's part of the Jewish scriptures, which I um, beg to differ because it totally contradicts Tanakh. So, Ted, and, let, um, let me ask you... I, I know you... Oh, let, let, me, let me ask you first, Ted. Uh, were you raised Karaite? No, sir. I was raised in a, um apostolic Pentecostal um, church. Okay, and, and then you converted to Judaism and then became Karaite, or was it a different journey? No, it was the same, Karaite, because I, I studied um, Orthodox Judaism, and okay. the fallacy in the, the Talmud and the uh, Mishnah okay. and all those books. I see the fallacies in them, how they added to Tanakh. And um, I chose uh, Karaite. All right. And, and, only... what, and what, what gave you the assurance that the, the Tanakh itself, the Hebrew Bible itself, was authoritative? Or did you never question that? I studied it, and um, I studied the um, archaeological facts of it and the fact that um, the, the reasoning for believing in, in God, period. And, um, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I came to the conclusion that there is a God, and if there mm-hmm. is a God, um, he has to have a way to communicate with mankind. So okay. I um, pretty much say that everybody agrees, you know, all the theological um, circles, as far as uh, the big three religions, Christianity, Judaism, and um, Islam, all agree that Tanakh is the um, is true, and that is the basics of this great uh, monotheistic religion. So I, I I started out there, but I okay. do um, you know pose questions to the Tanakh and make sure that it's true. Just like I study anything, I want to make sure that it is a true book. And everything that I've studied and researched so far, it appears to be that it's a uh, a true and accurate um, source. R- Right. So I, as much as I have appreciation for some of the beauty of rabbinic traditions and recognized how God has worked through rabbinic traditions to help preserve the Jewish people through history, I'm much more with you in terms of being a Karaite that the authority is the Hebrew scripture and not the later rabbinic tradition. So unless I was utterly convinced that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah of the Hebrew scriptures— and that I could demonstrate that to you without a New Testament, I, I, I wouldn't believe what I believe. In fact, if you think of it, Ted, 
the very first followers of Yeshua, their Bible was the Tanakh. They, they didn't have a New Testament for many decades after that. They had certain had oral traditions of the teachings of Jesus that circulated and other things. So that's the real question. And you would have to agree that if Jesus is the Messiah prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures, then you should follow him. And if it's something later that people read into it that's not true, that I shouldn't follow him. We, we would agree with that. So uh, we got a break. As soon as we come back, uh, I'll, I'll explain why I'm convinced that this is so, and we'll, we'll get to interact a bit. But thank you, sir. I appreciate the journey you're on, and we'll, we'll have a, a good dialogue about it. Stay tuned, friends. Much more to come. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown, 866-34-TRUTH. You've got questions. We've got answers. So, uh, Ted, you've obviously been thinking about this uh, over the years. How can I help you? Uh, Maybe there's a key question. Maybe there's a resource I could send you. How can I best help you to reconsider the Messiahship of Jesus based on the Hebrew Bible? Um, well, I'll tell you the best way to help me is to, um, is to debate me. It's to set up a time where you and I can debate this matter or discuss this matter for, you know, however long it takes, an hour, whatever. And, um, and that will show your listeners. I don't know if your listeners ever heard you debate a Karaite, but I, I must say I heard you debate um, Rabbi Tovia Singer, and 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 you you won the debate. But in my opinion, you win his debate. You win your. I think you can win a debate with any Orthodox Jew because because of the the Talmud. The oral law is their weakness, and you. I noticed that mm-hmm. you use their oral law against them, and that's their weakness. But see, I don't believe in the oral law. Right, so right. I don't so, know so, if Ted, so, right, so here's, here's the thing, just to be fair, okay? Um, okay. And, and I'm, I'm, listen, I get asked to debate day and night, uh, as, as you could imagine. So the thing that, to be <laughs> yeah. fair, right, the thing to be fair, in other words, to set up the time to be able to do it, you know, to do something by Skype, is, is would you agree that to be fair to Karaites, you want a, a qualified representative? of Karaites to do the debate. Would you agree with that? Um, in other words, let, let's just say hypothetically, yes, 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 I, yes. somebody, somebody right. that, that, that represent the, um, yes, I, I would say that. Yeah. Right. I would so, say so somebody that at least represent the, the truth of, of the right, right. Uh, right. So, so here, here's my point. You, you may be absolutely brilliant. You may be a great debater. You may know Tanakh inside out and the Hebrew perfectly. So I'm not, I'm not saying this to disparage, but let's just say that you, you didn't know Hebrew well, right? That, uh-huh. uh, that you, you weren't good at debating. Let's just say, and I'm not saying this would happen, that I completely okay. crushed you and made Karaites look bad. That wouldn't be fair to Karaites, or just like if I wasn't a good representative of my faith and you crushed me, then it wouldn't be fair to proponents of, of my faith. So that's the key thing. 
if you are a qualified representative and recognized by, by Karaites as, as a leader or a scholar with, with joy. Yeah, I've, I've had an interaction with a, a, a new Karaite believer, you know, a brilliant, brilliant, very devout Karaite that's come to faith in Yeshua in, in, uh, in, in recent years, which has been a delight. But if, here, here's the thing to do then, Ted, all right? Let me, uh, you, can you jot down an email address? Can you, uh, you yeah. have a second to do that? Okay, uh, it's real simple. Info, I-N-F-O, info at askdrbrown.org. Info that's at ask, askdrbrown.org, all right? Okay, just one second. Let me uh, get this down. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Okay, that's info. That's info. info okay, at, got that. Yeah, at ask Dr. Brown, askdrbrown.org, all right? And all I need you to do is just shoot shoot an email, Ted. Say that we we you're the Karaite. We talked talked on the air about doing a debate, and just let us know who you are, your credentials, background, Karaite leadership, anything like that. And then uh, my assistant Dylan will will follow up from there. So I just I just do this to be fair because I get asked to debate people constantly. You know, obviously my time is is limited, just like yours is. And I, I can only debate folks who are legitimate spokespeople for their community. Otherwise, what does it prove? So Brown demolished the guy or the guy demolished Brown. Or what does it prove if neither of us are legitimate representatives or recognized scholars or recognized leaders in our community? Uh, but it'd be a joy. And it's just scripture. We just look at it. our only book that we use is the Hebrew Bible. That's what we use. That's that's and. Who is the Messiah according to the Hebrew Scriptures? Man, with, with absolute joy, if the credentials back. All right, so follow through on that, Ted. And that's our general email, but it'll, it'll get to my assistant, Dylan, based on the content, and he'll talk with me about it and follow through. All right, God bless, man. Thanks for uh, persevering to get through to the broadcast. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to... No, we won't go there. Let's go to Aaron in Oregon. Welcome to the line of fire. Happy Friday, Dr. Brown. Thank you, sir. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. I have a question uh, that arose from some Facebook debate between me and um, a Judaizer that I, I speak to on a regular basis who is has tried to take it back to the Hebrew in Genesis 9 and say that Noah could not eat anything that's unclean according to the law of Moses. Could you confirm or deny that based on your knowledge of Hebrew? Yeah, you, you cut out at one point, at, at one point uh, uh, when you were saying about Noah. So repeat what the contention is. Yeah, so they were saying that um, Noah was not allowed to eat anything that was unclean according to Moses' law. And they tried to refer back to the Hebrew text to prove that point. And yeah, the verse in question is where it says that he can eat every living thing that moves for food. Yeah. So what in the world could they possibly argue? So, so I'm looking at the Hebrew. The fear and dread of you will be on all the, the beasts of the field and all the birds of the sky, everything that creeps on, on the ground and all the, the fish of the sea, I've given them to your hands. So human beings have power over the entire created world. Everything that creeps, uh, uh, and, and uh, everything is alive, it's for you, uh, for food, just like 
the uh, you know the the herbs I've given you. Now I've given you all this. I mean, the the Hebrew is utterly unambiguously broad, and uh, just you know you can't eat the flesh with the blood in it, etc. But I don't see any ambiguity here at all. And you're sure they're saying that based on the Hebrew of Genesis nine. It's one thing if they, they pointed to Genesis 7 where God tells Noah to take animals clean and not clean. It doesn't use the later terminology of the Torah as far as clean and unclean. It uses clean and not clean, a little bit different in Hebrew. And it would indicate animals that were suitable for sacrifice and those that weren't. Uh, but now here it's quite broad. Anything that moves, you can eat. It's unambiguous. I mean, I just read it straight from the Hebrew looking at TLV. Fear and terror of you will be on every wild animal, on every flying creature of the sky, everything that crawls on the ground with all the fish of the sea into your hand that are given. Every crawling thing that is alive will be food for you, as are the green plants. I've now given you everything, only flesh with its life that is its blood you must not eat. So, okay. Thank don't you, know Dr. Brown, because they were saying that there was a word used in the Hebrew there that indicated that that was, that was a qualified statement, so everything that moves statement was qualified by one of the words used either for food or for creatures. Yeah, no, so, so, so um, the, the only, the only thing it, it's, it's the word remesh. Okay. And, uh-huh. and which is literally creeping things, moving things. So it wasn't, was it saying every, could you argue, was it saying every animal fits in that category uh, or only a certain class? Even if you said a certain class, it has nothing to do with clean and unclean according to the Torah. There was because there are animals, according to the Torah, that creep on the ground that you couldn't eat. And there are others that crept on the ground you could eat. So there, there's nothing in the Hebrew here that would tie in with later Levitical or Deuteronomic uh, prescriptions or restrictions against eating certain foods. That's, that's bogus. Uh, if, if Thank you the, very much, Dr. Brown. God bless you. You are, you are very welcome. God bless. 866 for truth, hey, I'm I'm not taking sides. I'm captive to the word, right? That's the only issue. All right, we go over to India. Vershan, uh, where in India are you calling from? I'm calling from Brazil. Uh, Brazil, Brazil, Indiana. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, how how has <laughs> yeah. gotten flooded flooded with calls? It came up as India. All right. So oh, you're India. Ca- <laughs> Brazil, yeah, no. in, Brazil, Indiana. Well, I just learned there's a Brazil in Indiana. All right. Yeah. Well, good. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. Just uh, just uh, calling in and uh, just letting you know. Hey, I pray for you, and uh, I, I'm very blessed by your ministry. Well, thank um, you, sir. And so, my question was regarding the scripture. You know, I'm I'm uh, um, I work uh, late late days and late nights, so I'm just trying to you know, polish up on my apologetics and being bold and uh, speaking yeah. um, truth. And so, uh, you know, I just call your your line uh, every so often to get answers to things that kind of bother me. But well, anyways, let's go for um, it. What's your, what's your question? Uh, my question is about uh, the word scripture as, as Paul uh, uses it in Second uh, Timothy. Uh, what uh, what is he entail? What entails? what he uses as scripture, like all scripture, like what does that word actually mean? Like, and how, and how does he deem it? Is it just the old Testament in context or, you know what I mean? How does that in, in context, does... right. In, in context, because you did not have 
other parts of the New Testament clearly in place and recognized as Scripture, that uh, as he uses the term, he's referring back to the Hebrew Bible, okay? okay. He's referring back to the, what we would call the Old Testament. That's for sure. The statement that he makes then applies to everything that gets recognized as Scripture. So Second Peter, now you've got some of the writings of Paul already have been established and recognized. Second Peter talks about people twisting the Scriptures, twisting Paul's writing as they do the other Scriptures, and thereby speaking of the writings of Paul as Scripture as well. And some of the words of Jesus then get spoken of as Scripture. But initially, he's talking about the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, that's scripture. Then, as more and more is recognized as God's word, now we have the New Testament, the same statement applies that these writings alone are uniquely God-breathed, the Bible, the scripture. First the Old Testament, then the New as well. Thanks, buddy. Say how. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral cultural and spiritual revolution here again is dr michael brown welcome welcome to the line of fire this is michael brown i'm blessed and delighted to be with you hey friends if you're in the long island area sunday night 7 p.m i will be with my dear friend pastor david harwood for an intimate meeting with some of his flock and others that'll be visiting talking about the role of the nation's and the salvation of Israel. Uh, we should have the itinerary info up, well, shortly, if not already, on our website, askdrbrown.org. So join me if you're anywhere near Glen Cove, North Shore, Nassau County, Long Island. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Phoenix, Arizona. James, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Thanks for taking hey. my call again. You bet. Um, I had a question. Uh, my question was, do you know anybody or is there any other, uh, uh, I guess, um, big name person out there that's, that's doing the same kind of things that you're doing? I mean, I'm, I mean, I kind of think of you like, you know, you know, like the Elijah and I was just wondering, is there like an Elisha that's out there that's, you know, if Dr. Brown decides that, you know, if anything happens to Doc, Dr. Brown, God forbid, but, or if you, you know, is there anybody else that can, you know, pick up the mantle or are doing the things, the great things that you're doing out there? Well, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, number one, and any good that comes to any of us, we know is, is the Lord's doing and the Lord's grace. And I'm sure he's, he's got an army of people. Um, and thankfully there are a lot of folks that we've poured into over the years that are out doing great things. For example, through our ministry school, which will be going online later this year, Fire School of Ministry, uh, with tremendous online program. But through our ministry school, we've been able to, to touch, impact many who are now doing incredible work around the world, on the mission field, planting churches in the States, making a difference, uh, powerful evangelists reaching uh, millions in different countries, others raised up into all different areas. So a lot carrying the heart of revival, Jesus revolution, prayer, missions. There are a whole bunch by God's grace that we've been able to pour into that are out there doing things. We're trying to pour into more folks, James, to raise up more leaders in apologetics to, in the Jewish front. Uh, hopefully over the years, we'll be able to do that more effectively. 
the challenge is to get folks that know Hebrew and then can do apologetics, but, but more and more are coming up, uh, take a little while for them to, to get everywhere they need to go. But, but some young men and women that are gifted and tr- they're being trained and raised up. So on that front, and then on the culture wars, of course, there are a lot of folks on the front lines of the culture wars. So God's kind of put me together in a certain way that I'm in a bunch of different areas at the same time. And in that regard, we're trying to raise up people in each of those different areas uh, and raise up teams uh, to be doing things in those different areas. At the same time, by God's grace, man, I want to keep running. For, I feel like I'm just getting started like a kid in a candy shop, just getting going. Uh, so we appreciate your your prayer and support for that. But, you know, each of us, if you dig down deep enough, we're each totally unique. You know what I'm saying? That the unique person you are, the unique person I am, the unique person our, our kids are, the unique person my wife is, our grandkids, each, you know, each one, if you dig down deep enough, there's nobody on the planet like us. And in that sense, we're each unique and irreplaceable. But on the other hand, it's the Lord who does the work through us. But yeah, we keep, for many years, we've been pouring into folks, not, not to succeed me, but with the different burdens we have, the culture wars, yeah. Jewish apologetics, outreach to the nations, world missions, biblical scholarship, keep trying to pour into different people so that we can raise up an army doing things. And then the goal is they can all pass whatever I've been doing. They can, all of them can pass that and go beyond it. That's the great goal. And that's what we look forward to see happening. Yeah. It's because like when I, when I like research or do any kind of look up anything and like, I mean, I'm amazed at how much, you know, people pull from, you know, if I put, you know, try to look up things that's like, uh, for, uh, you know, countering the counter, uh, the anti-missionaries and stuff. It's always like, well, Dr. Brown says this and Dr. Brown says that, you know, you, you know, you never see any other names, but if you look up like counter-missionaries, you, you see like a list of names. You see like, yeah. So, so know, there are folks. See, yeah. We've talked about it. Thankfully there, there are some fine people. There's some leaders of Messianic Jewish congregations. There's some young men who are really sharp and they're, they're learning the Hebrew better. Uh, so folks are being raised up, uh, for whatever reason, I had to pioneer this. When I came to faith, trust me, and I was I was dealing with these brilliant, very sincere rabbis. It was overwhelming. It's a little intimidating. Thankfully, the Lord had so deeply saved me and transformed me. Uh, uh, but you know, young men in Israel being raised up on the front lines, doing more and more. Uh, one uh, one author, just the beginning of his book, attributed his interest in apologetics to my influence. Now he's doing a great job. So folks are doing more and more. And and let let that tide rise. But James, in the early days, I didn't have anyone to go to except the Lord and the Word. So it was challenging. But then out of that, we've been able to develop some things all by His grace to His glory. And now, ho- hopefully, others can can keep moving forward. Here's the strange thing. I'll say this. I'll say this last thing, sir. The strange thing is that there's nothing ultimately more important than apologetics than Jewish apologetics. In, in that, it starts with the House of Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, is Jewish, and ultimately the Jewish people will welcome the Messiah back uh, according to Scripture. He won't return until he's welcomed back by his Jewish people. That's what I believe Scripture teaches. And yet, it's, it's been about the most neglected field of apologetics. I mean, I have taught at apologetics schools, schools that their whole, their whole reason for being is apologetics. I've taught for them, and I was the first one to teach Jewish apologetics they had great apologetics for atheists and great apologetics dealing with evolution. They were 
issues and great apologetics for Mormons and, and where there is debate with Catholics or others or, and, and, and then with, with Muslims. And this area has been so untouched, so it ought not to be. Hey, thank you for the call. Much appreciated. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Michael in Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I just had a question about uh, just the word heresy. Um, I was listening to something recently, and it was commenting on uh, a show that you went on on Premier Christianity, and I believe you were talking about your uh, um, interpretation of tongues. And he was saying that your interpretation is uh, heretical, and I'm sure he believes that you're a heretic for some other reasons as well. But that word just seems to be thrown uh, thrown around a whole lot. And I guess, you know, my question for you is, uh, do you have more or less a biblical definition, like a working definition of the word heresy? Um, yeah. And it seems that, uh, seems that people are, you know, deeming anything a heresy that is a disagreement, even if it may uh, be like a minor disagreement, um, yeah. maybe something like tongues, which is important, but doesn't seem essential. Right. So uh, the fir- first thing is, yeah, the word is thrown around way too loosely, way too lightly these days. And of course, anything I believe about tongues, I'm 100% confident I can support it scripturally, uh, 100%. So anyone wants to challenge me on it, please have at it. I'm, I'm quite sure exegetically, scripturally deal with the original languages in context. I can support what I believe about speaking in tongues today. That being said, there, if we just look at the word itself, which is basically divisions, and that's, that's how it's used in the New Testament. So it, it can be very generic in that respect. But as it has become a somewhat technical term, in Christianity, it can be used very loosely as to any doctrine of any kind that departs from what we feel is orthodoxy, even if it's secondary, in which case we're all calling each other heretics because we have these minor differences, right? Okay, and yeah. I'm calling James White a heretic because he's a Calvinist, and he's calling me a heretic because I'm an Arminian. And I'm calling right. you a heretic because you're a Baptist, and you're calling me a heretic because I'm a Pentecostal. And and I'm calling you, uh, someone else, a heretic because they believe in a pre-trib rapture. And they're calling me a heretic because I don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. So that is obviously not the way that we want to be using the word. So as I understand it, and, and let's just say the way I use it, I do my best to only use it when we're talking about a departure from the faith that is damnable. In other words, a departure from the faith that is serious enough that if someone holds to it, we can legitimately question whether they are in the faith. So, for example, when I debated Dr. Dale Tuggy, and he denies that not just the deity of the Son, but the preexistence of the Son, and to him Jesus is no more than a glorified man, that is a heretical position. Now, I didn't emphasize it that much in the debate because I didn't want to make it like I'm trying to, to hold this over people and threaten them, but I did make plain over the course of the debate how deeply dangerous I understood this doctrine was. On the other hand, there are many debates I could have within the faith with brothers and sisters, and at the end of the day, we go out and have fellowship together and pray for each other, 
because we're one in the Lord. Uh, right. There are aspects of hyper grace that can be heretical, but they have to go to a certain extreme. The way it's normally taught, it is beautiful truth mixed with some serious error. If you take that error far enough, it can be heretical. But the great number of people I know that teach hypergrace are brothers in the Lord that I have a serious difference with. So that's where right. I would draw the line using the term. And I, th- I think we'd be wise to use it carefully just because there's so much division. There is so much everybody speaking their mind on social media, uh, so little processing and digesting of ideas that we throw things around so freely. I, I, well, I, I get attacked as a heretic day and night. And the funny thing is I get attacked from either side, you know, and, yeah. and if I just duck, those people are going to cancel each other out. I just feel bad for people not recognizing the unity that we do have in Jesus. And as I travel around the world, I meet a genuine believer. Uh, you know, that's all I want to know. And if we have minor differences on other points, fine, but we're together for the bigger issues in Jesus. And, and that's what I want to emphasize. So again, to me, if it is something that would ultimately disqualify you from the faith, be a damnable doctrine, what Jehovah's Witnesses teach is, is damnable doctrine. Uh, but the differences between Southern Baptists and Charismatics are differences within the same faith. Therefore, I would not want one side or the other to use the heretic term about the other. All right, right back with as many calls as I can get to right here on The Line of Fire. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to The Line of Fire. Never dull moment. Just looking through a ton of things. During the two-minute break, we just had 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Atlanta, Georgia. Alex, welcome to the Line of Fire. Uh, hey, Dr. Brown. Um, hope you're doing well. Yes, thank um, you. <clears throat> so here's the problem that I have. Um, so I went to uh, dinner with my boss last night, and then uh, <clears throat> the topics kind of got to um, uh, God, um, Jesus, and, you know, uh, can we have um, morality without God? Um, and I'm coming from a point where, you know, we need Jesus, and we need, um, in order to have objective morality, we need uh, we need God. So, you know, things like lying and murder and um, everything that's kind of spelled out within Scripture um, that's consistent from Old Testament and New Testament, you know, we can, we can be objective because of God. But then um, he kind of uh, pointed out that... Uh, there were a, a couple situations in the Old Testament, I think, where um, it, it seemed to look like the, uh, these, uh, the spies for Israel, I don't know which book that is, and then also the midwives um, concerning Pharaoh with the babies being thrown into the river. Um, so he was saying, you know, those people, they were, they lied, and God, you know, blessed them. Um, and honestly, I didn't know how to, like, 
uh, come back. Yeah. I, was just, I just, honestly, I just didn't know what to say. I just, I was like, I don't sure. know. Um, yes. so I don't know, like how, how, how can you be, how can you have objective morality if God blessed liars, um, in the old, I don't know. So. Right. So the first question is, how do you define morality without reference to absolutes? So I, mm. I would start there with your boss and say, okay, let's, let's start here. How do we define morality? How do we define good or evil? If we have a, a, an exclusively evolutionary model, then it's survival of the fittest. Perhaps for the good of the human race, it's better to eliminate certain classes that drain the economy or that are more prone to drag the, the working class down. Or maybe there's one group that's more fit, superior to the other group. You know, just a, an evolutionary model, survival of the fittest, that's how you determine things. So I would first ask, if, if we are just the freak, random products of, a, of an evolutionary process, an unguided evolutionary process, what is good, what is evil? Where do the concepts mm -hmm. come from? That's why my friend Frank Turek in his book, Stealing from God, explains how atheist arguments have to start with certain God-like presuppositions before there's even an argument. So that's the first thing. What is good? What is evil? You know, when people tell my friend, Dr. Turek, uh, there's no such thing as, as truth. There's no absolute truth. He said, is that true? <laughs> so you, you want to, you know, mm -hmm. challenge some of these things right up front. So... Uh, absolute morality. Let's just say, well, what is morality? How do we define morality? How do we define goodness? Let's go to the animal world. Is it immoral when a spider eats a fly? Is it immoral when a lion eats a zebra? Well, that's the natural order of things. And so I press that first. And it's very difficult to ultimately say there is a clear meaning, there is a clear morality without first establishing God and absolutes. That's number one. Right. Number two is to say that the Bible is very clear that there are certain things that can be done to save a life. So that if, if I had to lie to save someone's life, it's during the days of Nazi Germany, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, it's Exodus 1 and Joshua 2 would be the, the places in question about lying and things like that. Mm. But do we commend those who hid Jews during the Holocaust? And when the Nazis came out their door, do you have any Jews here? No. And they literally would have a hole in the wall and that they would close things up and the Jews would hide back in there and stay there. Uh, we commend that as a good thing. So we ultimately have to look at the, the, the larger purpose and recognize that sometimes someone can be deceitful in order to save a life because of an oppressive, ugly government, because someone's at your house. Look, if someone came to your door, they want to, they want to murder your sister. Is she here? I haven't seen her all day. And they run off. Okay. You saved your life. Did you do the right thing or the wrong thing? Uh, say to your boss, those are great questions, but now we can evaluate them based on moral principles. And, and when is it right? Is it ever right to tell a lie? to save a life if you have a murderer at the door, right? Or, mm -hmm. but is it right to, to tell a lie in order to, to, to procure heroin from someone on the street? Obviously not. But mm -hmm. the, the question you'd ask him is how do we come to moral conclusions? How do we determine what is right and wrong? How do we determine what is value or not other than either survival of the fittest 
or there's some absolute standard we have to look at. So I, I come back to him with those questions. One, how do we even determine what morality is, what good is, what evil is? And two, those instances were for a higher purpose, which gets back to the point, how do we determine what is moral and what is not? So bounce it back in that direction. And if he wants to think about it, uh, suggest he reads Frank Turek's book, T-U-R-E-K, Stealing from God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, thank you. You are, you are very welcome, sir. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to J.D. in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Afternoon, Dr. Brown. Okay, so my question <clears throat> is, first of all, I, I appreciate the, the debates that you do, uh, even on the issues where um, you might not even be convinced of, of someone's salvation because of their theology. You're always um, graceful and polite and deal diplomatically uh, with God's Word, which is <clears throat> which is what we're supposed to do. Um, I, I'm annoyed by legalism. On issues, as well as you know, this hyper grace. I know there's got to be a there's a there's a call and a walk that we're each supposed to have. Um, run into this issue and uh, with the Seventh Day Adventist, who w- will make statements like, you know, um, Sabbath is a sign between people forever, and then they will take a, a scripture, several scriptures talking about a seal of God and try to relate the two, but they will agree with the statement that it is by grace through faith that we're saved, not of any work, so that nobody could boast. They'll agree with that statement, but they'll say things like, in the end time, there's going to be a, a test, which just seems to scream, Jesus is not sufficient, if uh, an issue of, you know, going to church on a different day is going to determine... Yeah, and, and espe- right, especially the, the issue of Sabbath, which was specifically given as a covenantal sign between God and Israel... Even if yeah. God uh, himself rested on the seventh day, there's no Sabbath command until Exodus 16, and God exactly. gave it as a sign between him and the Jewish people. And then explicitly, in the New Testament, Colossians 2 tells the Gentile believers not to succumb to pressure regarding Sabbath or a new moon. Right, and then Romans 14, even if it wasn't talking about Sabbath, the same principle applies in, in terms yeah. of, of days, etc. So that, that would be, I have no problem with people uh, understanding Sabbath is seventh day or feeling that it, it, the, the later church changed it to, to the eighth day to Sunday. And it's, I've, sure. I've, I've no problem with people worshiping on the seventh day. Many of my Messianic Jewish friends do as, as a Jewish believer yeah. Sabbath, you know, if, if, if I'm not out traveling speaking, then, you know, it's, it's Saturday. Sabbath is my natural day of rest. But yeah, the, the problem with legalism is uh, I, I've defined it as laws without love rules without relationship, relationship, standards without a savior. It is externally imposed religion. And invariably, it is judging by criteria that God did not say to judge by. It is adding some other ingredient and making that central. So look, Jesus changes us. And if we truly know the Lord, our lives will be different. And that's why the word can warn that no one who lives like this and this and this will inherit the kingdom of God, because that person has obviously not been transformed by the Lord. But it's a, it's a complete wrong way to look at it, that in order to be saved, I have to then conform to a certain behavior. Once I do that, I'm in. Rather, the behavior is the consequence of a changed life 
by God's grace invading me and transforming me. So, because if it's me conforming, then it's it's me having a part of my way into heaven, which of course I can never earn. Correct. Yeah. In other words, if it's my initiative to reform myself and I can become good enough to get in, then I don't need a savior. If rather, exactly. as a wretched sinner, I call out for mercy and grace and salvation and God saves me and by saving me changes me. Now I bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. The changed life is the fruit of salvation. Yeah, absolutely. That's the difference. So, uh, go so ahead. We understand that faith in Jesus is saving faith. Faith in ourself is, is not saving faith, which I don't know that it could be a strong delusion. I'm not sure. How do you handle, um, it could be a caller. It could be a um, you know a, a personal interaction that you have with somebody on, on that specific issue um, in love because you do care about them. You care about their their salvation. Yeah. You care about having a relationship with them. How do you handle that without? So I, um, that yeah, I'm, I'm jumping. I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in to cut off only because I've got thirty seconds to answer you. I go back to the cross. The cross. The cross. The cross. In other words, okay. You say, I've got Seventh-day Adventist friend, loves the Lord, and we're fellow believers, and we used to debate when we lived in the same state years ago. But if I wasn't at that point of friendly fellowship, I'd say, okay, what do we agree on? What do we agree on? And some Seventh-day Adventists do not agree on these things, and I would, I would question their relationship with the Lord. But others do agree on the fundamentals. Okay, so what do we agree on? Salvation through the cross. Forgiveness through the cross. Forgiveness through the blood. Okay, so let's major on that relationship with God. And now let's just say, Lord, we just want to please you. You show us in your word what pleases you. Here we are. Hey, have a blessed weekend. Glen Cove, Sunday night. I'll see you in Long Island.